somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving break. We all need a break, and uh, I certainly had one. And it was uh, my batteries are recharged. It's all, it's all good. But I did a lot of work over the weekend uh, with the uh, social social media. Posted a lot of stuff, and <clears throat> I thought today, you know, we would go through a whole bunch of it. It's just a whole bunch of stuff, but there's a lot to talk about. For example, today, Arizona is going to call the election. They're going to certify the results of that election. And by all accounts, you know, there's just been, you know, I like what Charlie Kirk had to say. He said, if there was an earthquake on election day, you would have a do-over. And all the different anomalies, all the different scanners and printers and tabulators that had uh, malfunctioned on the day where Carrie Lake was supposed to get all of her votes, well, you would have maybe a, that would be the equivalent disturbance of an earthquake. And if there was a bona fide earthquake, well, then certainly you would have a real, you know, a do-over on the election. We can't have people like Katie Hobbs who are benefiting from her own corruption to manage the entire election. Then, you know, it would be one thing if the election ran smoothly and that there all the all the uh, account accountability was there. But there was so many anomalies that uh, broke the chain of custody that put the trust into uh, secret rooms and back rooms. And you can't trust that. You just can't. So hopefully there's going to be some some demand. People will demand in Arizona that this can never happen again. And hopefully this will be a black eye to the elections going forward that we that uh, these tabulator machines and this mail-in voting 
and uh, late counting and ballot harvesting has got to go. It's uh, too easy to commit fraud. And if you could just simply prove that you could rig the system, then that's it. And so you got the Democrats, you know, going after the ballots and you got uh, conservatives going after the voters. And you say, well, that you want to sell to the voters because the voters are all. But see, the Democrats are not looking at voters as uh, as much as they're looking at ballots. So what they're doing is they're passing all these different rules and regulations and laws that are just sending ballots out to every Tom, Dick, and Harry down the street. You know, basically the ballots are just going out. Whether you want one or not. Think about that from a cost perspective. You have to print the ballot. You have to postage the ballot. You have to burden our uh, mail system. And they're doing all this so that they could rig the election. They're not worried about dollars and cents and how much it costs. You know, how much does it cost for a person to walk, get up out of bed, put their shoes on, go down to the voter precinct and vote? Not much. You go to them and they count your vote. And you show an ID and you prove who you are and you do it in person. But what they want to do is they want to manage all these databases and print out all these ballots and mail them and distribute them to all these different addresses and then have you sign three different documents and all kinds of crazy stuff. Or they'll just have a ballot harvester come and pick it up, break the chain of custody, buy your vote with a hit of crack or a $20 bill, and then take that, put it in a pile. These ballot harvesters are getting paid by different organizations that are also being paid. Let's face it, the organizations that are paying the ballot harvesters, are, who are the, who's paying them? Companies like FTX are paying them. People like George Soros are paying them. So we have all this outside foreign influence. We even, heck, we even, why even stop there? I mean, we have all this money going into Ukraine, winding up in the hands of uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, head of FTX, because all the donations that were going to Ukraine, not just, forget about the federal funding, because that one we can't prove yet, yet. But if Marjorie Taylor Greene has her way with the audit and she passes a bill, uh, helps get that bill passed in the House and then in the Senate, why would the Senate ever disagree with an audit to see where the money is? In fact, the I hear the administration, the uh, Biden administration, is scrambling, trying to get their ducks in a row as to now, I was an inside, uh, I read a report of an insider that was talking about that, that the Biden administration's scrambling because they know an audit's coming and they know they're not going to have any answers because nobody's auditing the money that's going in there. And this is a worldwide effort. You ever notice how all these things are the same in every country? 
you know, what Justin Trudeau was doing to the truckers or, or what the Brazil or the election rigging in Brazil is very similar to what we have here in the United States. And by the way, Brazil is still protesting in the streets in the, in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. There's, uh, the military has sided with Bolsonaro um, to a certain degree. Yet, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen there because the new uh, leader was also showing up at this G20 or whatever it was. The G20 has an agenda to just scare the crap out of you. And then there was this uh, election thing that was going on. Did you hear about Kanye West having dinner with Donald Trump? That was kind of interesting because Kanye West showed up with a couple of his buddies and he didn't tell Donald Trump or so Donald Trump says. And next thing you know, Kanye West shows up with a little entourage and one of them just happens to be this guy named Nick Fuentes who's an idiot. But... He's an idiot that Marjorie Taylor Greene seems to like. J.D. Vance uh, blasted Nick Fuentes, but J.D. Vance also was a big friend of Evan McMullen, who's a big friend of Mitt Romney. And and then Marjorie Taylor Greene endorsed J.D. Vance. She also endorsed Kevin McCarthy. But Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes to be Speaker of the House, so that's kind of interesting. You see how this is a big, hot mess? <laughs> All these things are happening at once. It's like political stew. But I'm, we're going to try to make some heads and some tails of it. Because Meathead was, you know, uh, Rob Reiner was tweeting all weekend, as was Alexander Vindman, and they were carrying the water for the left almost in like what was a bot fashion, so much so that even even uh, Elon Musk had to comment on it when it was pointed out that, uh, you know, like when you read these from uh, Alexander Vindman, it says, kind of weird that Elon Musk gets to decide how like a half a billion people communicate. Way too much power for one erratic individual to wield, don't you think? And then there was Greta Crown retweeted that. Daniel Bell wrote that. Lisa, this woman named Lisa, did. All these different people were writing the same thing, almost like they got their talking points from the same place. Alexander Vindman, you may recall, is a Ukrainian-born or Russian-born dude that was a colonel and the a lieutenant colonel in the military. And he was eavesdropping in on President Trump's congratulatory call to Zelensky. And he was the one that doctored his notes and manufactured a lie. Alexander Vindman did. He's got a twin brother, too. They both look kind of crazy. They're radical left, they hate America. And yet he wraps himself around his uh, military uniform every chance he gets, trying to make Trump out to be the one who's not the patriot and trying to make himself out to be the patriot when he's nothing but a hack. 
So Alexander Vindman's spreading these rumors over on social media, Mr. Lieutenant Colonel. And the thing about that is, is that he lied about the interpretation of the call. He wrote down in his notes and changed, made some changes in his notes about the Zelensky call. Then he talked to his friends like Fiona Hill, a British diplomat that worked with the National Science National Security Council and works with the people over at the Brookings Institution. And they got together with a dude named Eric Ciarmella. And Eric Ciarmella was, was a, had a gay lover named Sean Misko. And Sean Misko was also working for the Obama White House and the National Security Council. And he was working uh, in the White House and the CIA and Adam Schiff picked him up and put him on his payroll. So then you got Sean Misko, the whistleblower, who was uh, being represented by a lawyer named Mark Zaid, who tweeted out, a coup is started. There'll be a series of many steps. Ultimately, impeachment. Lawyers will be involved. And of course, that's exactly what happened. And... Alexander Vindman was part of it. And he was part of it because there was this corruption going on in Ukraine. So much so that we've played all that tape last week and the week before. We've played it over and over again, you know, uh, where you have the situation where you have the call and Trump mentioned CrowdStrike and looking into Hunter Biden and talking to the prosecutor. And then, of course, uh, Rudy Giuliani was talking to Victor Shokin, the prosecutor. And in addition to that, remember, you had Lindsey Graham, John McCain, and Amy Klobuchar over in Ukraine during the President, uh, President Trump's president-elect Trump status. And they were there for New Year's Eve while President Trump was getting his cabinet together, and while Obama was still in office, they were closing up a couple of deals in Ukraine on New Year's Eve, meddling in the politics. You know, it goes back to 2014 where Victoria Nuland was rigging the elections. She's from the State Department. She's been there. She's senior. She worked with Hillary Clinton. She worked with um, John Kerry. Victoria Nuland, I know people that know her, She's a corrupt individual. And the thing about it is, is that she was responsible for rigging the 2014 elections in Ukraine with Jeffrey Pyatt, also a State Department dude. And the State Department and the diplomats and the CIA work hand in glove. They worked with the Benghazi outfit you know, financing uh, the ISIS mercenaries that were guarding the unregulated oil wells in Iraq so that European corporations and globalists and African corporations and globalists could benefit from this cheaper oil and hurt Russia at the same time because Russia was also, it was hurting Russia's oil interests as well. 
So you see, that's what Benghazi was all about. And being that Gaddafi was a toll collector, they took Gaddafi out. And there's still complaints, you know, about NATO and the European Union wiping out Gaddafi. That country was running just fine without the help of the West, and now it's nothing but a terrorist uh, safe haven. Libya, we're talking about. But when we talk about this whole thing, it's all connected to where we are today. Because the whole reason why the war in Ukraine is ground zero for the globalist movement is because they were trying to protect, and that's why they wanted to impeach Trump. And that's why they wanted to create leverage over Trump. Because Lindsey Graham was dirty in politics in Ukraine. So was Mitt Romney. So were their children, uh, Mitt Romney's children, Pelosi's children, and Joe Biden's children. And they were all there in Ukraine. And Viktor Shokin got fired because he was looking into it. He was the prosecutor in Ukraine. And Rudy Giuliani met with Viktor Shokin. And why are we talking about all this? Well, this has led us to basically the Black Lives Matter 2.0, which was FTX. What Black Lives Matter was in terms of a fundraiser leading up to the 2020 election and their partnership with Act Blue, because when you go to Black Lives Matter and you donate to Black Lives Matter, you, in essence, go to an Act Blue conduit. Well, the same thing was true with the globalists. And the globalists were basically saying, donate, help Ukraine, save save Ukraine. And instead of saying, help us with our campaign, uh, help finance global politicians, help Klaus Schwab rule the world, if that was the if that was the that, that would have been the true political statement but instead they they couched it they positioned it to be like you know pulling at your heartstrings so you think you're donating to Ukraine to save Ukraine against an aggressive Russia but really they could have prevented that war whole whole cloth but they chose not to because they wanted this conflict they wanted the money to flow into Ukraine, either by government uh, investments, like the $90 billion we've given to Ukraine, or all the donations around the world that every Klaus Schwab-installed leader has promoted. So in the end of the day, those donations would wind up in FTX. That FTX money would wind up in SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried's pocket, And he would take the money out of his pocket and give it to Democrat politicians. But it turns out that he also gave over $2 million to Kevin McCarthy. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, I guess, turns a blind eye to that. But uh, also, he gave uh, a bunch of money to Mitch McConnell. So, you know, they gave a fraction of the money to the Republicans. They gave the lion's share to Democrats. That's for sure. Grant you that. But see, the old Democrats, the old Republicans, they used to always like being the minority party because 
They didn't care whether they ruled. They just cared whether they would make a couple of crumbs. And I think it was China that said that American politicians are the cheapest politicians to buy. So the Republicans are happy with the scraps that they're given because they know that the Democrats are going to be so corrupt that they're going to basically get some coercive action. Meaning that they're going to be so blatantly obvious that the Republicans, if they don't get a couple of payoff money, they're going to be whistleblowers. See, that's the the thing. And instead of that, they just sort of give the Republicans a few crumbs to shut up and to play ball. And that's how it works. It's sort of like the policemen are paid off by the criminals. The criminals in this case being the Democrats and the policemen are corrupt policemen and they're the Republicans. Let's hope that changes, but it's only going to change if we get new leadership. So it was refreshing over the weekend to find out <clears throat> that what Matt Gates, is, Matt Gates has been saying all along, that uh, McCarthy doesn't have the votes. Well, that's good news. That's really good news. So, you know, the way that works is this. McCarthy has most of the votes. He has over 200 votes. But guess what? He needs 218 votes. Otherwise, he doesn't get to be speaker. So if he can't get that, if, if Matt Gates and, and Con- Congressman Biggs and, and Congressman Comer and a bunch of other congressmen, like maybe Jim Jordan, maybe more from the Freedom Caucus. Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to call herself a Freedom Caucus member, but frankly, I think she is she sold out to McCarthy on this one. Like I say, there's a lot of things I like about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Don't get me wrong. But she sold out on this one. For her to endorse McCarthy was to make this struggle of ousting McCarthy, keeping McCarthy away from the gavel, it made it more difficult because Marjorie Taylor Greene represents, you know, a red meat wing of the MAGA group in the House. But, you know, she was connected with Laura Loomer, and Laura Loomer was connected with some things that, Proud Boys and some other things. Um, She was also connected with J.D. Vance, and J.D. Vance was connected with Mitt Romney and Evan McMullen. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, I got to tell you, has had some suspicious activity, shall we say. And I wouldn't doubt it that McCarthy offered her a leadership position in a committee. And to someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's new to politics and doesn't really know who all the players are and who has been ousted by people like Pelosi, kicked out of the House for some of the things that she said that I actually agree with. Like she was a she's a climate denier. I am a climate denier. I, I think that's a hoax. She was also uh, thought thought that masks and COVID vaccines and things like that and mandates were wrong. And I agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene on all those things. And she supports Donald Trump. And, of course, I support Donald Trump. So I'm, I'm in agreement with Marjorie Taylor Greene on a lot of things. 
But I don't like the fact that she endorsed McCarthy. It made matters worse. If we're going to get change and we're going to get justice and we're going to get meaningful investigations, we got to get people like McCarthy and Mitch McConnell out of leadership. And that's what I'm hoping happens. So right now it's looking like Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes. He might have 200 and uh, he might have 215. But guess what? 215 is not going to get it done. You need 218. So if he knows that he's not going to get 218, then he's going to have to step aside and they're going to put somebody up that will get 218. It likely will be a compromise. It probably won't be Jim Jordan. It probably won't be Matt Gates, But it very well could be Steve Scalise. It very well could be Congressman Comer it very, from Kentucky. It very well could be Biggs. And uh, from what I'm hearing, it's Biggs and Comer. And Scalise are the three top uh, front runners for that post. And wouldn't that be great? Frankly, Jim Jordan and uh, Matt Gates, I think, are better litigators and better uh, as committee chairs. And uh, so, and Comer is a great, he's been slated to be oversight. So I don't know. I, I think that the Republicans are sitting a lot better than they were. We got, we got rid of Liz Cheney and we got rid of. Um, Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger. We've got rid of Paul Ryan a long time ago, but he's still ahead of Fox, um, one of the heads. One of the things that Marjorie Taylor Greene said, though, that I I disagreed with, was she said, if we don't get um, Kevin McCarthy, we're going to get someone like Liz Cheney. Well, that was just stupid. That's a stupid comment. We know that Liz Cheney's out, right? She's out of the Congress. She lost. She's out. Maggie Haberman, I think, beat her. And um, that's great. Okay. So why would uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene say that? Well, she said that because you don't have to be a congressperson to be Speaker of the House. That's kind of interesting. A lot of people forget that. Um, You don't have, like President Trump could be Speaker of the House right now. (laughs) Would that be something, right? That would be a kind of a something because it's a figurehead. Um, the speaker, uh, it's kind of interesting, but they can, you can elect a speaker that's not, you could elect Newt Gingrich for crying out loud, which would be kind of interesting in and of itself. But uh, in any case, that, that, that would be the farthest thing from reality. And it was a scare tactic, and it was a cheap one at that. So, you know, I don't uh, uh, appreciate Marjorie Taylor Greene being that flippant about it. Um, so I want to get back to this uh, thing about Kanye West and Donald Trump over the weekend. So Nick Fuentes, he is a, he is a card. I mean, this guy comes off like a racist. But whether he is or not, I don't know much about Nick Fuentes. I will say this. I've seen clips of him. I did a little research on him. And he is so not impressive. I don't know what the attraction is. I don't know how he's gotten to be such an important player in these politics. I honestly don't. I don't get it. I've never heard him say anything brilliant. He's just a 
crazy dude, right? And then Kanye West, you know, he made his announcement to be president of the United States. Of course, that'll never happen. Kanye West. Okay. But he is popular culture. He is black. And he does trend. And he is pretty smart in a lot of different ways. And I'll give him all that. But when President Trump offers to have dinner with you, maybe to help you. Now, this is what President Trump said. President Trump gave a statement. And he made a few th- statements and he said, you know, uh, here's, here's the statement that Donald Trump made. This is what Trump, Trump truth, truth socialed out, right? He says, so I help a seriously troubled man who just happens to be black, yay, Kanye West, who has been decimated in his business and virtually everything else, and who has always been good to me by allowing his request for a meeting his request, so it was Kanye West's request for a meeting at Mar-a-Lago alone so that I can give him very much needed advice, in quotes. He shows up with three people, two of which I didn't know, the other a political person who I haven't seen in years. I told him, don't run for office, a total waste of time can't win. Fake news went crazy. All right? So, I said this. I said, um, to that, I said, uh, oh, there was a tweet I was responding to that's been deleted. Okay. So, what happened was Kanye West put out a tweet that was now deleted, so I can't even read that tweet, but I remember it. So, Kanye West called out Ben Shapiro all of a sudden. After that meeting, Kanye West calls out Ben Shapiro. And what does he say? He says that Ben Shapiro, you know, basically... uh, got on his knees and took the $100,000 from Ron DeSantis. Uh, So Ron DeSantis, uh, so he said Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire accepted uh, because they needed the money. It was what he was indicating. Uh, The $100,000 Ron DeSantis gave them for, you know, basically media exposure. So Ron DeSantis was basically saying, I want some good press. Uh, I, I would like to get some media exposure. I'm going to go ahead and pay Daily Wire $100,000. PR agents do this all the time. And probably that's who it was, was a PR agent for Ron DeSantis that basically was paying to get Ron DeSantis good coverage over at Daily Wire. That's my guess. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we deal with PR people all the time here in D.C. We have sit-downs with them, lunches with them, dinners with them. It happens all the time. And they, they're not cheap. I mean, some of these PR people are, you know, many thousands of dollars a month. Half the time, more than half the time, the people you see on Tucker Carlson or somewhere else are only there because 
the media person has a great relation. The PR person that's getting paid by the the talent uh, is actually good, uh, has a good working relationship with the producer, and the producer is the one that gets the guests, and it's the show host that pretty much doesn't even care or doesn't even know which guests they're getting so long as they're all good and relevant and whatever, right? And that's the producer's job. So the producer, you know, the, the talent, whether it's Tucker Carlson or some other show host, has producers. The producers work with the PR people. They also work with publishers and publishing houses and things like that to promote books and to promote ideas and to get exposure and for a whole host of reasons. But that's how the whole game works. And so uh, when Ye tweeted that out, I thought, that's interesting. So it's almost obvious. And what was obvious to me about that is that as soon as Ye has his meeting, that meeting would have never gotten noticed if he didn't bring a racist like Dick, Nick Fuentes, right? So you got that part. That's kind of interesting in and of itself, okay? So you say, okay, did Jay really do that? Bring his entourage of people that Trump didn't want there? Or did that get out and Trump knew that he, everybody was going to call him a racist? So that's what happened. Um, you know, starting with Rob Reiner on down, the media basically was trying to say, you had dinner and Ben Shapiro took the bait. And Ben Shapiro said the same thing. He said um, that, you know, you're having dinner with a, uh, with a racist. So uh, what do you expect? You know, just don't have dinner with a racist is what he was saying. So naturally, Ye then starts a fight with Ben Shapiro. And you say, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. Um, Daryl Scott said, I don't appreciate that stunt that, uh, nut job County West pulled. And I know that, uh, Trump doesn't appreciate it either. Right. So that was that one. But then there was the, uh, Ben, Ben Shapiro one. And he sort of fell into the trap in my opinion. And, I guess it's good for business to get that kind of PR, but here it is. He says, oh, Ye said this, Shapiro starving, starvingly accepts $100,000 from one of my opponents, then tries to trash me. <clears throat> and sure enough, there's a, there's a uh, connection to this because it says here, Ron DeSantis paid over $100,000 to Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. And that was written in an article by Jason Campbell. And it says, and that was written 11-15-2022. And it says, as he gears up for potential 2024 showdown with former President Donald Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has enlisted a leading right-wing outlet for advertising, Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. The Republican governor paid $100,000 since last year in fundraising expenses to the site, which has aired commentary supporting DeSantis over Trump. Okay. That's because Ben Shapiro hates Donald Trump, right? He just has always been a never-Trumper. Never so 
Ben Shapiro, ben Shapiro writes this. He says, a good way not to accidentally dine with a vile racist and anti-Semite you don't know is not to dine with a vile racist and anti-Semite you don't know. So he's being cute. And that was that. So I think that what's happening is this on, on this whole debacle here. I think what's happening is, I, and I asked the question, I says, is this Trump using yay to trash DeSantis without trashing DeSantis? After all, Ben Shapiro has always, uh, was always a never-Trumper, but DeSantis is Trump's true threat. Maybe this is why Trump and Ye had dinner talks. This was the strategy. I think it's possible. You know, I think it's possible that that this this is the kind of thing that went down. So um, I said this, never Trumper Ben Shapiro is being played and he doesn't even know it by making himself the Trump hater that he is, which is that tweet that I just read that he basically said, the way you, uh, a good way not to accidentally dine with a vile racist and anti-Semite. He's calling Ye an anti-Semite. He's calling Nick Fuentes a vile racist. You don't know is not to dine with a vile racist and anti-Semite you don't know. Okay, that's what Ben Shapiro said. So my response to that was Ben Shapiro, uh, never Trumper Ben Shapiro is being played at, and he doesn't even know it. By making himself the Trump hater that he is, he grants license for Ye to feud with him. When DeSantis is the real target to this Trump play, Ye is a ruse and Shapiro is completely irrelevant as a foil. So what I mean by that is that I think it's I think it's interesting to to learn that that uh DeSantis was paying money to a never Trump outfit like Daily Wire and Ben Shapiro. Right? I didn't know that before that, did you? So now you right away connect establishment Never Trump with the money from the DeSantis promotion campaign. So right away, you put those two together and you got DeSantis, Shapiro, and Daily Wire as allies. And for the MAGA country, that's not a good place to be if you want to win over MAGA, right? Or America first. Because they've never been part of that. I like Daily Wire. I mean, I think that their content's good. I like Ben Shapiro. I think he's really smart. So it's kind of interesting. Um, You know, I I think that Ben Shapiro's been wrong all along about Trump. And he was certainly wrong on 2016 when he would have bet the whole farm that Trump wasn't going to win. And I was betting the farm that Trump was going to win. But in any case... I think it's an interesting play, and I, I don't think people are catching that. The, the true angle is that, and I said this last week, and I tweeted it last week, and it's written to last week, and what what that is is that Ye is going to come out, and he's going to have this antagonistic relationship with Trump for a while until they make make up. He's going to be at odds. He's going to be saying, I want to run. And he's going to build up as much as he can in support. 
Because then what he's going to do is he's going to bow out and after he loses the nomination and all of his supporters, he's going to endorse Trump. And so then everything he built in the name of a campaign, yay 2024, is going to go to Trump in the end. So that is the play. And that's already started with this DeSantis alignment with Never Trumpers, Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro. And I never saw, I never never thought, I never knew that, Dan, uh, that, that Ron DeSantis was connected in that, uh, connected with that group. So you see, that was the play. The true target was DeSantis. Not Ben Shapiro or not Ye. It was a ruse, but no one would have ever noticed the meeting if Ye didn't bring the racist. <laughs> and Trump then, and, and then the media didn't react in such, in such a predictable way that Trump then had to give a statement. And then Ye comes out and connects DeSantis with never Trumpers like Ben Shapiro and Daily Wire. You see the play? It's just, it's not, it's just crazy stuff, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. Well, you know, all of this is being driven by globalists. And I just want to listen to this. Uh, I want you to listen to this older clip that I've, I've played once before. But we're going to cue this up because G20 just happened and it's kind of interesting. G20 county countries said they will enforce vaccine passports for future pandemics, we all need to end this perpetual medical tyranny. Let's take a listen. And then once we take a listen to that, there's some other clips we're going to be playing here. All right. Australia is now the test model for this martial law to be rolled out globally. Rather than locking down 100% of the population for an illness with a 99% survival rate, why don't the 0.2% people that are truly at risk of dying from the virus simply stay home? For all we care, you can wear your five cheetah masks, take your 57th booster shot. You don't need a government mandate to be a neurotic recluse. People really need to understand that it is our compliance which is causing this perpetual process of medical tyranny. Let's not forget that the end goal is the V passport. Without the V-passport, absolute medical fascism cannot be established. Without the passport, they have no leverage over the people. Without the passport, they have no advantage and authority to dictate the basic aspects of our lives. So it's imperative that we understand that it is the passports that are most crucial to initiate the Great Reset. Without a papers please social credit system in check, their new world order just falls apart. And if that seems like too much of a conspiracy theory to you, please explain to me why globalist institutions like the World Economic Forum are so excited calling the pandemic an opportunity. An opportunity for what? This whole psychological operation was strategically created to make you exhausted. Exhausted to the point where you give in and take a shot. And it was James Madison who once said, that if tyranny and oppression ever come to this land, it will come in the guise of fighting a foreign enemy. And that foreign enemy in the 21st century just happens to come in the form of a foreign pathogen with a 99% survival rate. 
There is honestly no crueler tyranny than that which is perpetuated under the shield of the greater good for the greater number. So this is really just a friendly reminder that government officials aren't these benevolent leaders with your best interest at heart. They are power hungry, perhaps semi-human creatures capable of any evil to pursue their sadistic freedom and liberty are always just one generation away from becoming it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, pay attention to this stuff because this is happening. Death panels are happening. He's making because of very, very high medical costs and a lack of willingness to say, you know, is spending a million dollars on that last three months of life for that patient, <clears throat> would it be better not to lay off the, those 10 teachers and to make that trade off in medical costs? But that's called the death panel. Uh, and you're not supposed to have that discussion. Yeah, you are supposed to have that discussion. And uh, these are the same. If it wasn't coming from the same people that uh, want to reduce the world's population, then it would be, you know. Let's take a listen to this. Canada is going to mandate psychiatric medication, psychiatric medication for those that refuse mRNA injections or any kind of vaccination. Let's take a listen. I mean, there is a definite assault against the unvaccinated. And you've talked about how uh, even th they recommend, you know, perhaps psychiatric medication or something for people that don't want to take a vaccine. So this has come out recently out of the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. The college sent out a, a letter or a memo to all the doctors in Ontario suggesting to them. Now, so far, they're not mandating it. They're just suggesting it that any of their unvaccinated patients, that they should consider that they have a mental problem and that they should be put on psychiatric medication. So far, it's just a suggestion, but the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario should not be making these kinds of suggestions. This is extremely unethical, and this is a very, very slippery slope. Uh, if, if they're suggesting that people who wish to have bodily autonomy and, and don't want an experimental vaccine, that there may be something mentally wrong with them. That is a very, very dangerous, slippery slope that we're on. Oh, man, you're so right. I just thank you for your courage. Yep, and we're there. And uh, they, they always uh, say that, too. But listen to George Soros, what he had to say about COVID-19. COVID-19 also helped legitimize instruments of control. Yeah, you bet it did. All right, and then uh, let's take a listen to this guy. You all, Yuval Noah Harari, the designers of life will no longer be a god. We are going to be the designers of the future of life. Let's take a listen to this. This is crazy. Then say 200 years, uh, to give a, a conservative estimate, there won't be homo sapiens on, on planet Earth. 200 years. 200 years, and I think this is a conservative estimate. Wow. Uh, I, maybe even a hundred years, it's not that we'll destroy ourselves in some calamity. Much more likely, we will use advanced technology, biotechnology, nanotechnology, direct brain-computer interfaces to upgrade Homo sapiens into different kinds of beings, beings which are different from us much more than we are different from Neanderthals, beings which will have different bodies, 
different minds, different brains. I mean, the big products of the coming century will not be shoes or clothes or cars or weapons. The big products of the 21st century are going to be bodies and minds. So I think we are heading to, towards the upgrading of Homo sapiens into gods. I will replace natural selection by intelligent design. You have, especially in the US, this big argument between natural selection and intelligent design. And the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, that the people who believe in natural selection, I think they're obviously right about the past. But the people who believe in intelligent design, they are right about the future. Mm. The future of life belongs to intelligent design. But the designers, the intelligent designers, will not be some gods above the clouds. We are going to be the intelligent designers of the future of life in the universe. So it says here, Yuval, the guy you just heard, Yuval Noah Harari, is a lead advisor to Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab is the author of COVID-19, The Great Reset, and the founder of the World Economic Forum. Yuval is praised by the likes of Klaus Schwab, Barack Obama, Mark Zuckerberg, and Bill Gates. Harari speaks at the World Economic Forum at Davos, New York Times, Stanford, TED, and Times Talks. So that's what's going on with that guy that you just heard. Let's take a listen to, um, let's see. Oh, and then I said this. I said, ever, ever wonder why the people with the most money, Buffett, Gates, Bezos, Dorsey, Jack Dorsey, you know, Elon Musk, Madoff, by the way, Elon Musk admitted over the weekend that he voted for Joe Biden. Uh, Musk, Madoff, and Sam Bankman-Fried, in addition to the top actors in Hollywood, the richest scientists and professors in the world, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists, we know that those are the ones that wrote the Russian hoax, all voted for Joe Biden. Did you know that? You ever wonder why that is? Liberal elitism. It's a club. They all share the same, drink the same Kool-Aid, share the same juice. Um, got two more clips I want to play real quick. I'm going to play this one first. Um, this is Alex Jones 20 years ago. This is in 2002. This is Alex Jones in 2002. Take a listen, please. 2002, Alex Jones, 20 years ago. Facts and common sense are in. Yes, there have been corrupt empires. Yes, they manipulate. Yes, there are secret societies. Yes, there have been oligarchies throughout history. And yes, today in 2002, there is a tyrannical organization calling itself the New World Order, pushing for worldwide government, a cashless society, open borders, total and complete tyranny, where human beings are absolutely worthless. There's six and a quarter plus billion of us, and the globalists have said it many times. There's too many of us. We're causing a problem. Uh, we need to be culled at the tune of 80%. It's amazing to talk about that, but it's the globalists, the UN, their own public statements, and they've convinced a lot of liberals and elitist conservatives and others uh, that by going along with this, that we're intelligent members of society. It's the ultimate Malthus world view. It is... Uh, this radical, virulent form uh, of social Darwinism. It's the excuse of tyrants. 
And by creating open borders where there's no national sovereignty and only global bodies that control all the resources, by centralizing and socializing health care, the state becomes God, basically, when it comes to your health. And then by releasing diseases and viruses and plagues upon us, we then basically get shoved into their system. Is that crazy or what? He knew. He knew. He knew. We've known for a long time as well. But uh, let's take a listen to vaccine passports, digital ID, and central bank digital currency support the same functionality as the Chinese social credit system. Let's just liken this to kind of a digital gulag. Explain. Well, this is the way it works, Laura. It's like if you have these vaccine passports, they can support the same functionality as the China social credit system, which it surveils every aspect of a person and assigns a social credit score about how compliant you are. And if you combine that with the central bank digital currency, where the federal government is deciding whether or not you can spend your money, then they can just take your money away. They can sever you from your credit cards, from your bank account, and even from your bill. They can even empty your bank account if you if they deem that you are non-compliant. And that is a digital gulag. So you're saying the framework for the digital passport allows government entities, in this case an international organization perhaps, to, to put anything in those little digital drawers. So in this case it's the vaccine passport, but then other bits of information about you and your life can also go in those other drawers that are there. Correct. So the vaccine passport or any uh, mandatory digital ID, even a digital driver's license, a smart health card, can combine the functionality of the China social credit system. So that I know they- people are going to say, oh, you guys are conspiracy theorists. This is great. But people, people were getting on my case in April. Yeah. So that is so true. And, uh, you know, what's happening in China? People are rising up in China right now. Huge deal. People are rising up in Brazil. People are protesting throughout Europe. Uh, The globalists think that they're winning, and they were winning for a while uh, because of COVID. Now that people are getting their freedom back, I'm telling you, man, we have a chance. We have a chance. We have an opportunity to save this world and not only save this world, but save our country and save our families and our liberties and our, our rights. So we are close. This is a very, very difficult, challenging human struggle. And it, it really is uh, uh, the people against these global, uh, against global tyranny. And uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out our nonprofit arm, magapac.org. They're connected with Red State Talk Radio. And please make a donation if you can. We need your help. And uh, with that, also use Red State over at MyPillow. Help Mike Lindell out and help us out as well. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye bye, everybody.